Uh, if you want to open your Bibles to Genesis 11, the end of it, into Genesis chapter 12, we're going to be there in a moment. If you're visiting with us or, um, you know, it's your first time in class, maybe you're listening online and you're new, we've been doing a series of lessons on Wednesday night called the Hall of Faith, looking at Hebrews chapter 11, where there is listed for us uh, multiple people from the Old Testament who exemplify faith, what it means to live by faith, what it means to trust in God. And we see that through their action, through how they responded to their circumstances. We see somewhat of how we can define faith. And, and so we're looking at them with the hopes that as we look at their lives and their stories, they will impact our own so that we will live by faith in our own life and whatever circumstances we're going through. And the first week after we introduced it, we looked at Abel. There's Cain and Abel, and Abel came to God with a sacrifice, but Abel came with the right heart. Abel did not separate his sacrifice from his own life. He said, no, it's my heart, my intentions, all of that. He came to God in that way, and God accepted it. Cain was different. Cain brought a sacrifice, but also had heart problems and pride and a bunch of other stuff. And so Abel was the first man to live by faith. Last week, we looked at Enoch. Enoch, there's not a lot said about him, but yet the little that is said says of a man with great character. It says he walked with God, and because of that, God took him, that he did not experience death. And so we looked at some details of his life and how we can also walk with God, even in a culture and a society that looks vastly different from what God would want it to be. If we went in order of Hebrews 11, tonight would have been Noah, uh, but you all voted no on Noah, um, so then it would have been Abraham. But you all voted no on Abraham, and so tonight is Sarah. Now, because Sarah is married to Abraham and their husband and wife, and their their stories are intertwined, uh, they're connected in a way that you cannot separate them completely, so we will be reading passages that mention Abraham throughout, but we're not going to focus on him per se. I might make one comment or two, but we won't uh, focus on it there. Uh, It's interesting that Sarah is mentioned in the chapter, because as you read her story, there really isn't a lot of details about her faith. There's not a lot of passages, as I read, that you go, man, look at that action. That is trust right there. And so in some ways we have to say, well, God, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, or God himself, the Holy Spirit, by inspiration, had her put in this chapter. So she must have been a woman who lived by great faith. We don't know all the details of her life or how it manifested all the time, but yet we can look at her story and know that God puts her in the chapter and say, what can we learn about faith from her? And so I'll just start with you just, I know you're in Genesis, but uh, we keep talking, or we start this week every way, but Hebrews 11, 11, this is the verse that mentions her, and it's on the screen for you. It says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. This whole chapter has the same pattern, by faith or through faith, somebody. And just like it has been for all the people before, including the two we're skipping, by faith, Sarah. And it says she received power to conceive. And the why is because since she considered God faithful, since she considered him faithful, she received power to conceive well beyond the age. And her big part of her story, it's not who she is. This issue didn't define her as a person, but a big part of her story is that she was barren, that she was unable to have children. And we're going to see that because as you look at Genesis chapter 11, uh, we're going to start in verse 29 and 30. These are the first two verses where you see, the st- where you see these two individuals of Sarah and Abraham uh, introduced. Uh, we have a, quite a bit of reading tonight. I'm trying to hit the highlights. We're going to skip some stuff because I would like to spend half our time reading and really half our time talking about what we learned from it. 
But 11, uh, Hebrew, or sorry, Genesis chapter 11, uh, verse 29 and 30 says this. It says, And Abram, that's Abraham before his name changed, and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, who we are calling Sarah. And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. So the first time you're introduced to Sarah, you're already introduced to her, her issue. That she's barren, she can't have a child. And we're not going to have a whole bunch of commentary on all of this. But just notice from the very beginning, you start getting this part of the story. Because the way she responded to her circumstances in life shows her faith. And so she's barren. And then you get to chapter 12. And this is where we have to understand Abram a little bit. Uh, If you look at Genesis chapter 12, would somebody read verse 1 through verse 7? Thank you. Uh, I'm missing a verse there. But uh, in chapter 12, if you want to understand the story of Scripture in its totality, like how it's one big story, you need to understand Abraham and Abram and the promise made to him. The promise that God makes to Abram is threefold, really. And it has its fulfillment in Israel and the covenant. It has fulfillment in Jesus, and it, it continues on. But the, the promise to Abraham was uh, threefold, And this impacts Sarah because the call and, and promise to Abraham obviously affects his wife. Uh, but it's threefold. One, it was a promise of a place. I will give you this land. It's not specifically said, I think, here, but it will continue to be as we look on. But there's a place or a land given, the land of Canaan, one that uh, his descendants would end up having and the covenant would be made. And so there's this idea of a place they will possess. There's also this promise of people. I will bless uh, you give you descendants. Um, what we'll see as God mentions this promise over and over again to Abraham is that he gets a little more clearer in some of it or phrases it in different ways. But there's a people. I will make you a great nation. There's going to be a people too. And then all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, there's a promise of Jesus. You will find that the Messiah comes from Abram's lineage. Uh, we see that at the beginning of Matthew chapter 1. He is the first person mentioned as Matthew goes on to describe or to define the uh, lineage or the genealogy of Jesus. And so it's a threefold um, promise. There's also this idea of I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. But what's interesting is do you think Abraham and Sarah understood all of these promises when they were given it? Probably not. I would say most likely not. If you were a gambling person, you'd say no. I don't understand exactly how you're going to make a great nation for me. I don't understand how you're going to give me all this land. Look who's in it. How am I going to have a nation or descendants when we're barren. How are we going to do all of this? And the whole, all the families 
of the earth will be blessed. I'm sure they really didn't understand that part. And so, but it's a threefold promise that you kind of find throughout Scripture. Uh, but skip down, or the one thing to notice there is verse 4. Back up one. Did it work? Nope. Just kid. Oh, there, there it goes. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And how old is Abram? 75 years. When God gives this promise. And we talked about this in our series about um, the A-team. But like Moses is 80 when God calls him. Uh, Abram is 75 when he makes this promise. Um, I don't know if that's when you would... I don't know, how many of you are 75 or older? Hey, get up, leave everything you know, and go to this place that I'll tell you about later. And you're going to have a baby. We'll get to that part. Yeah. Um, but can you, I mean, put yourself, don't think of this as just some fairy tale. It's not. Put yourself in their shoes. Like, you're 75, you're thinking about retirement. You know, you're thinking about, I'm taking it easy. I've worked hard my whole life. I'm going to have, I'm going to enjoy this. And I know it's a different time there, but... They're nomads, and he says, hey, go. Leave home. Go be a nomad. Uh, you're going to have a kid. You're going to have a great nation. It's like, I'm, this might be a little uh, more than I expected. Um, and so it's 75, and that's important as we go on later. But uh, let's skip over to Genesis chapter 13, verse 14 through 16. All of the, the scriptures will be up on the screen tonight, except for one chapter we need to read. But in Genesis 13, in verse 14 through 16, we see the promise made again. Uh, But it's made a little clear. What we don't know is how long between each time God told this promise to to Abraham and to Sarah, how long it's been in between. You know, was it months, years? Uh, You'll see what I mean later on. Uh, But over time, he continues to reiterate this promise. It says, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him. Do you guys remember where Lot chose to live? Yeah, great decision, right? Go live in Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, There's a lesson there. But he says, Abram, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can be counted. I find it interesting that if you remember, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 said, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of what? Things not seen. And here he says, lift up your eyes and what? I'm going to give you all this land. Now he's looking at it to see it. I don't think he can actually see or picture what God's going to do for his descendants and do for his family. But he has to trust what God says. Or he has to find a way to see what God says in his head and in his heart, despite what he can't see right there physically. It's just interesting how these things connect. But he says, I'm going to give you all of this, and I'm going to make, I'm going to give you this land to your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring as the dust of the earth. It's interesting. Scientists estimate roughly a hundred metric tons of cosmic dust enter Earth's atmosphere a day. A day. Asteroids hitting each other, it falls. A hundred metric tons. Um, that's 40,000 metric tons a year. Now try to count the amount of dust on this planet. Try to count all the dust in your home. <laughs> you know, uh, you can't count that. In the same way, that's kind of what he's saying here is, I'm going to bless you so greatly it's going to be hard for you to imagine, to even number it. And so as the dust of the earth. But there's the promise a little more um, detailed or described when it comes to your descendants and, and the land. Then you look at Genesis chapter 15. If you look at Genesis 15, it says, 
And verse 1 through 6 says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Remember, God is a rewarder of those who seek him. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So you're getting pictures of Abram's faith uh, right there. Once again, we're not studying Abraham, but he tells him, lift up your eyes and look. You and I have to do that. We have to lift up our eyes and look in life and see the promises of God, despite if we can't see them physically right now. And here he says, you have to trust me at my word. And Abraham, Abram, Abraham believed, and we have to do it to the same. And God counted it to him as righteousness. But once again, God reiterates the promise. But you also see a little bit of his struggle don't know how much time has passed since the initial promise when he was 75. But when he says, uh, what, was his, what was he basically, basically saying to God? God, you've promised me heirs and you've promised me this nation and this land and this people, but what? Nothing yet. Nothing yet. Like, is it going to go to this guy? Because that's who it's going to go to. Is that, is that how this is going to work? God, I, you see a little bit of doubt or just question, uncertainty there. And we'll get back to that later on. Because what we see in Abraham, we also will see this in Sarah. Oh, was, was that a hand? Yeah, well, it's like, you know, I can promise you something, but if I don't deliver on it, over time, you start to what? Question the promise. And I'm not saying he's full on, you know, God has shown some evidence to Abraham to believe, but he's made promises, and at some point, it's almost like everyone's going, okay, so when's this thing start, when's the ball get rolling here? How's this, how's this going to work? Is there something I'm not seeing? So, he describes this promise, but he says, your offspring will be like the stars. You know, there are 200, at least in 2017 when I read this, so it might be different now, 200 trillion galaxies in the observable universe. There are an estimated 100 million stars in the average galaxy. So multiply 200 trillion by 100 million and then find a number that you can't even put on a calculator. And that, he says, that's how many descendants you're going to have in a way. It's like, I'm going to bless you that greatly. You can't even imagine um, but once again, it's a promise, and he believed. And then this this chapter 16 is not on the, on the screen, but if you would look at Genesis 16 with me, uh, we actually need to read this chapter. It's 13 verses. But this is a uh, passage that seems very interesting and maybe doesn't make sense to us at first because it's not our culture, and we don't understand why someone would do this. But this is when Sarah kind of takes matters into her own hand to get Abraham an heir. And so pick up with me in chapter 16 and verse 1. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go unto my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, And gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. 
May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. We'll pause right there, just for time's sake. Hagar flees, because she's being dealt harshly with. But what does God promise to her? Does anyone remember or know? You're going to have a son. His name's going to, He's going to be Ishmael. And what was the promise about that? Yeah, God hears, right? God hears your cries, God, God sees. And also, he was going to multiply his descendants or her descendants in the same way. And so, but jumping back to Sarah and Abraham for a second, because that's who we wanted to focus on tonight. Why would Sarah, or Sarah, I'm going to call her Sarah for the rest of the night, okay? I feel weird saying Sarah. Uh, why would she give her servant or mistress or his mistress, why would she give him Hagar? Yeah, so I'm barren, and I'm older in age, and I, can't, I haven't had a child, and I'm not having a child, and I probably can't have a child, so God's made this promise, and I need to make sure it happens. I'm, I'm going like to put myself in control of this situation. Clearly, it's not me or my doing, so I'm going to make it happen some other way. Um, which is interesting, because how does she react when, he, when she conceives, or when, she has a, when she's pregnant? She's, she's jealous, which makes sense, right? I mean, wouldn't you be jealous uh, either side of that party? Yeah. No, she didn't help anything. Um, and this whole story seems weird to us because we're like, first of all, why would you have a servant, different culture? Secondly, why would you give, give your husband over to her to have a child? This was more common at this time, you know, having surrogacy or, or whatever that way. Um, and so this was more common than you think to take this other wife. And it doesn't make sense to us in our culture, but that was part of the times. But still, you see, did she like doing that? So why did she do it? Don't you think she felt some responsibility? God gave her husband a promise, and it's got to happen through her. And she doesn't have any way to... I mean, over time, you'd think that would start to weigh on her. Wow, it's my fault. Yeah. No, I mean, this is speculation in a way, right? But we try to put ourselves in the shoes of these people. Like, okay, so God's made this promise, and he wants a son. He's even questioned, like, hey, how is this going to happen? And I'm not delivering, so I feel guilty, you know, or I feel like it's my fault that I'm just in this life circumstance that I can't control. But sometimes, you know, maybe I, maybe I can make this happen one way or the other. I regret that. You know what's interesting is, do you think she doubted or struggled with her own inability to make this happen? Absolutely. But who does she blame? Do you notice? Do you notice? Um, or, wait, no, we didn't have it on her because it's chapter 16. If you look at uh, verse 2, what'd she say to Abram? She didn't blame Abram. The Lord has prevented me. 
which if you've ever been in a something or wanted something, but you're unable to provide it, there's a part of you that feels like it's your fault. But then maybe if you're not careful, there's a part of you that feels like it's God's fault too. And so maybe that's where she's at. Um, and there's some lessons we'll talk about with that in a second. But um, well, she blames Abraham later. She blames Abraham later. Yeah, she she blames everybody. I blame me. I blame you. I blame him. Let's all just share the blame game. Um, so right foot blame. You know, it's like Twister. I don't know, but uh, that's where she's at, and she's struggling. And I think we can relate to her in a way to say that's a human emotion. I'm not saying all of them are right, but you know, she's struggling with this. Uh, look at Genesis chapter 17, and starting in verse 15. Skipping down some more. Uh, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah, there you go, shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to him, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and he will make, uh, make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So, Now God has made the promise quite clear. You've doubted a bit. She's doubted a bit. You've questioned. You've maybe tried to make it happen on your own. I'm going to bring about this promise through Sarah. Sarah's going to have a child. And what is Abraham's response? Can you imagine laughing at God? I I don't know. You know, we don't, we speculate what heaven's going to be like. I really hope in heaven there is a movie theater where it's playing the stories of God in HD or we can go watch it. Like, because I want to see Abraham laugh. I also want to see this next part too. But notice how old were they? She's 90. He's, how many years has it been since God initially made the promise? 24 and it becomes 25. Yeah. Yeah, so were there, are there consequences of sin? Absolutely. But was there grace here? Yeah, you see grace in God and how, yes, they messed up or they struggled with things, but God kept his promises. Um, and they live by faith. We see that because of how they're mentioned. But, yeah, it's a good point. Were you about to raise your hand? Are you just, Don? Yeah, okay. You look like you have a great thought. So I'm going to come back to you later. Uh, no. <laughs> um, what? No. Yeah, he doesn't do that. Now, like, you know, Hagar bears a child. There's consequences. We get that. But there's grace here. And there's not just this how dare you or how could you. Uh, Charles. Something that's always bugged me about this. I don't know how to say it without sounding bad, so I'll just say it anyway and forgive me. I'll try to put a Band-Aid on it if you do. Does it bother you? That God waited for them to mess up 
so catastrophically and then say, well, now I'm going to tell you exactly when you were going to get that blessing. Mm. If, you had, if he had given them that information, and I know he used Ishmael, and, and it's all according to the plan, and I understand that, but that all could have been prevented. You know, if God had just said well, in two years... Well, you know what? But we say that, but that's in theory, isn't it? Because, like, hey, I mean, you know, if a guy, I'm going to come back, to, Jesus will come back, and he will judge. Okay, well, I'm going to get my act together. He doesn't tell us when. But if God said, I'm coming back tomorrow, do you think everybody on this planet will get their act together? Maybe. What about if he said in a year? In two years? You think so? I mean, that's, I, I get what you're saying. It's like, why don't you tell me the whole picture? But part of that is a showing, well, do you have faith or not? If I tell you the outcome, if I tell you when everything's going to happen, you don't have to wait at all. You don't have to show your faith through tests. And I know we wish we knew, uh, but that's part of the faith part in us, that God doesn't reveal every single part of the plan or how everything's going to happen. We had a few hands. Please compact them just because of time's sake. But, yeah, bud. Thank you. I want to read a scripture we'll get there. for you, okay? Okay. Uh, Genesis 17. Uh talks about this, but says, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac and Sarah will bury you by this time next year. Yeah. So he tells them when it's going to happen. He does. It's not a matter of leaving them guessing at it. No, but he, I think what he was saying is that God told them that 24 years into the 25 years of waiting. It's like, and we don't know if God told them other specifics earlier on, um, but there's a lot in that. But we do want to know time. Don't we wish God told us all the details? I completely relate to that. I think all of us do. Um, but yet, maybe that's a part of God saying, do you have faith? That you don't know all the details. You don't know how it's going to happen or when it's going to happen. But you have to trust that it will. It's the seen and the unseen there. Uh, Marty? you got to wonder if this was not really about them, but more about us. Because we're reading this here in the 21st century, 3,500 years later. And, and I'm looking at this thinking, okay, so if God makes a promise... I don't have to do anything to make sure that promise comes to pass. He'll take care of it. So maybe this wasn't about them. Maybe this is about me. All these thousands of years later, maybe it's about us. Maybe it's about so much more than just these two. And I, I think about when uh, when God told Zechariah, hey, you're going to have a son. And his wife was barren. And <laughs> they had a son. And, and he said, well, I don't know about that. And God struck him dumb. So he wouldn't be able to speak until the boy was born and he wrote his name on a, on a tablet. It's a matter of just believe what he says. And that's still what we have to do. Yeah. Because we're more enlightened than Abraham was now. Yeah. And it does say, how did she receive the power to conceive? Hebrews 11 said, by faith. So it was something about her life and her actions. She believed. She had moments of doubt. We'll get to that. I'll go to you and then we'll, we'll move on. Uh, I was going to say, time has always been a problem with mm-hmm. mankind. Yes. And it still is. Amen. I have that written down in our application part. So <laughs> I'll turn back to you for that. Oh, that's, that's absolutely true. Um, if you look at Genesis uh, 18, 9 through 15, this is where Sarah hears. Sarah hears the promise. She's, this is what's fantastic. It says, uh, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? This is God. And he said, she is in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. So this is hilarious to me. This is the movie theater thing. I would love to see how Sarah's eavesdropping on God. 
You know, just that little kid. Hey, what are mom and dad talking about? And like, what's God telling my husband? Uh, they were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So she's at that point of pregnancy is not an option. Honestly, at this age, physical activity in that way, like, is that even a thing? Just, and I'm not trying to be, you know, mean or anything, but that's just part of this whole thing. Uh, and so Sarah laughed at herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord, my husband's old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said, hey, why did she laugh? <laughs> I want to see this whole conversation. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's a great line. And hold on to that for later. Um, I will return to you about this time next year. Sarah, Sarah shall have a son. And then she denies that she laughs. And he says, eh, yeah, you did. I don't know if he's mad. Sometimes we, we try to picture what he's saying. Oh, you laughed. Maybe he's saying, eh, yeah, you laughed. You know, yeah, you did. I heard it. Um, but now she hears it. And she is... I'm, I'm old, I'm advanced in age, this, this doesn't make sense to me, I can't believe it. But yet, in Genesis 21, you see it happen. The Lord visits, visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived, bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. As, as we look at this, as we look at Sarah, um, I think there's a few things we can learn about faith. Here are, here are a few. Number one, what I learned is that faith waits on the Lord. There's an aspect of faith that requires waiting. And waiting is not necessarily about wanting the time to pass, but it's how we wait. It's not just, I have to wait a certain amount of time. It's also about how we live and act and conduct ourselves while we wait. They waited 25 years on this promise. That's over uh, 9,100 days. Who knows how many miles walked, how many places visited, how many things that happened, how many ups and downs and how many times God spoke to them to build them with confidence and also how many times they felt disappointed and discouraged because it hadn't happened yet, but yet they waited. Um, they trusted that God would do what he said he would do even though they couldn't see it. That's part of faith. And some of what they could see maybe even made them question if God could. I mean, I'm old, I'm, I'm 90, I'm 85, whatever it may be. Would God do it? Yet they waited. And I have this written down, and so you were absolutely re- uh, correct. Time can impact our faith negatively depending upon how we respond to it. What are some of the promises of God that we wait on? Uh, what did you say? Coming back. Coming back, right? Acts chapter 1, verse 11. They're just staring up into the clouds when Jesus ascends and the angels say, um, hey, he's coming back just as you've seen him leave. Like, he is coming back. The Bible's clear about that. No one knows the day or the hour, though, right? It's, he's coming like a thief in the night, but he is coming back. That is a promise. That he will judge, that he will take home his children. But we wait. Can we see that? No, we have to wait. Uh, there's what, What's another promise? What else did we say? I heard a couple other answers. There's He's coming back. He, okay, there's heaven. There's eternity, right? There's, there is a city with foundations, as the Hebrew writer would say. There is a a new home, there's a new heavens, there's a new earth, however you want to phrase it. There is this place after this life that will be perfect with no tears, no effects of sin, where we will be with God forever. 
Um, well, there will be no limitations anymore in terms of a relationship. We can be right there with him. And, but do we see that? No, we see an earth, we see an earth filled with sin. What would you say? Only by faith. This is the part of faith that we've talked about, that you have to have spiritual eyes. You have to be able to see that which you physically cannot see through faith. They all died in faith. They hadn't experienced it yet, but they absolutely are going to. Yes? Yeah. Yeah. Um, th- there's so many promises we think about, like rest, this eternal rest. What about the resurrection? You will def- Yeah, every body will be raised. There, you'll have a new body. There's, um, you know, you'll be all things made new. Death will be defeated. No more effects of sin. Uh, can you see it? Well, not necessarily with your physical eyes, but if you have spiritual eyes. I'm going to keep going just for time's sake. I'll get to you, I promise. I'll try. God dealing with the injustice and wrongs of the world. Like, there are so many promises that we, we long for and we desire, but it takes faith to receive them, and it takes faith to see them. And so we wait. We even wait upon, I wouldn't call them promises, but we wait upon God to answer requests in our prayer life. You know, we make these requests. We know that God says you do not have because you do not ask. We don't know how God will answer. We don't know when God will answer or answer it the way maybe we desire, whatever. But yet we pray and we have to wait. Waiting Waiting can be the hardest part. And I imagine her. I want a child. Do you think she started waiting at 60 to have a child? Or do you think she started waiting long before that? And I think everybody in here in life has either had an experience or is having an experience where they're waiting on things. Like there's the, there's the girl today who is longing to have a child who's waiting. Like there's that couple who's trying and they're waiting. And there's that person who's waiting to get married. Don't look at me like that. There is that person who's, there is that person though who is, who's waiting for their health problem to be fixed. There's that person who's waiting on someone to come back to the Lord. There's that part. You see the idea? We're all waiting on something. And for her, apparently the way they waited said something about their faith. They trusted even during their waiting while it was difficult. But while we wait, we have to live by faith. While we wait for God to fulfill his promises, we have to fulfill ours. Like he is going to fulfill his promise, but we have to fulfill our part of it. Um, We have to live and trust. And so we might be confused or uncertain or wanting at at certain points in our life, but We have to wait. Uh, This author, Elizabeth Elliot, said, Waiting on God requires the willingness to bear uncertainty, to to carry within oneself the question, lifting the heart to God about it whenever it intrudes upon our thoughts. Charles Spurgeon said, We shall not grow weary upon waiting for God if we remember how long and how graciously He once waited for us. We wait on God, but God's waited on us too, hasn't He? There's a lot of ways in our life He's still waiting. Um, And so... He's still waiting. <laughs> He's, yeah. And so faith waits on the Lord. Another thing you learn is, hey, people of faith still have doubts. Just because you're a person of faith doesn't mean you never have any moments of doubt. Uh, if you ever have a moment of doubt, listen, you're not alone. A moment of doubt doesn't mean you've turned your back on faith or have no faith. It means you doubt. There's a difference between a lifestyle of doubt and a choice of doubt and a moment of doubt. Harold. That patience is such a key aspect in how you look at what's going to happen or what. Don't be 
all anxious and, oh, I've got to have it. I need it. i got to have it. Just be patient. The Lord will take care of us. Yeah. And the Lord says he'll do something for us. He will. Just yeah. be patient. He'll take care of it. He's promised it. Yeah. That's the trust aspect. Um, for them, they had moments of doubt, though, didn't they? He's like, hey, is, is the heir in my house going to get this? Eliezer? Her moment of doubt? Hey, go take Hagar. I mean, they, they had moments of doubt, and it manifests itself in various ways. That doubt can be, people, some people just turn completely away. Um, but what we see here is that their doubt manifested itself by they tried to make it happen on their own, in a way. She, she tried to make it happen. And um, maybe that doesn't work for us in terms of resurrection or heaven, but we can try to ask God for something and we give up, and then we try to find whatever it is we were asking for on our own in the wrong places, in the wrong way, in the wrong people, you name it. Um, And so in our doubts, we can have these moments of doubt, but we always have to put those promises back in front of us. I love how when they had these moments, God reminded them of the promise every single time. You know, standing on the promises, we sing that song. I hope we always remind ourselves of these promises because while we wait, we need to hear them. And we need to hear these stories of how God brought these promises to fruition. Faithful people have always had some moments of doubt. The apostles did, Elijah did, these two individuals did too. Okay, one more. Faith believes God can do the impossible. We categorize things in our life, don't we? There's the possible, there's the unlikely, there's the improbable, then there's the downright impossible. That can't happen. Listen, God can do all of them. There is nothing God cannot do. We sing that song to our kids, don't we? Like, there's nothing our God cannot do. Yep, someone wanted to clap. I heard it. Um, Many of the promises of God, by our definition or ability, are impossible, but they are not impossible for him. Uh, He has majored in the impossible. He has done the impossible from the first minute of creation to the last. It's like, you mean to tell me you believe you'll be raised from the dead? Yes. Impossible for me, not impossible for him. Uh, You'll live forever. You'll be forgiven. God can forgive you. Get... You put on some faith and you repent and all that and you get wet and God can forgive your sins? Yes, I believe that because it's not impossible for God. Um, you'll be a new creature. God will answer your request. Why you? Well, because nothing's impossible for God. If you have faith, you, you need to believe God can do the impossible. And we try, to, we try to explain how God works or to say what is or isn't impossible or say how God did it or what he did or didn't do. But we need to understand he can do anything and by faith we should believe that. You and I, at one point in our life, will experience the impossible. Don't think I'm trying to sound hokey. When you die, and then you experience a resurrection, that is God doing what is impossible for all of mankind to do. You will experience that. Eternity. You will experience that in Christ. That is impossible for anyone to do. You're living on an earth that was made that's impossible for anyone else to do, and God made it. Faith trusts that God can do far beyond what we ask or think, far than what we can imagine. And she believed God could do something impossible. Is having a child at 90 impossible to you? I I don't know. And so by faith, by faith that happened. She had the ability to conceive. Some people said the fact that they're trying to have a child at this age shows they have faith. But also, I think also in her life, it just showed they were trying to have faith. And so Faith believes God can do the impossible, and I'll end it with this. On my way here, I forgot one, or I thought of a new, a different one, and it's, this tells me it's about who we put our faith in, not the size or strength of it. Um, in Hebrews 11, 11, it says, 
She, ha- she was given the power to conceive because she considered him who was faithful. Is that what you're about to say? Faithful unto death, yeah. And so, because she put her faith in the one who could, this happened. All these people in this chapter, it's about who they put their faith in. And for her, that's a big part of it. She didn't trust her ability or her power or something like that. She trusted him who was faithful. And so, that's what we learn about faith. Did anyone have a comment as we close? A lot. I'm with you. Still with you. So we're waiting to see. But I think sometimes we forget that. We're waiting to see when he comes back. Yeah. And in the meantime, we're on our own and we've got each other. No, 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 no. He's with us right now. Yeah. He's with you right now. And it takes those eyes. It takes those eyes to see that. Yeah. Right? Marty, Don, and then we'll close. We, we don't talk about it much. But the only way you can have faith is over time. Mm. You can't have it. Instantly, you can't have it quickly. You can't have it right now. You have to have faith over time. That's the only way we can do it. It's a seed that grows over time, right? It takes a process. This isn't pointed at you, but young people in general, and I see it a lot of young people growing up in church, is that what they lose their faith is marrying the Lord. They think, man, I can't, I can't. It's too narrow. I mean, I gotta go find them in the club. I gotta go find them without changing. So we gotta trust in God. You know, there, there's a delicate balance of there are some things in life you, you play a part. Like faith doesn't mean you're inactive and you do nothing. At the same time, there, there's, there's a lot of examples of that where we try to make things happen while we wait. Not necessarily promises, but maybe things we desire, whether it's a job or a person or a relationship or a blessing. And while we wait, we don't get it and we're not, we struggle with patience. Maybe we look for it in the wrong places or, and then you get what you're talking about. Yep. And so... There's a lot of good lessons from her. I hope you got something out of that. We're past time. Thank you for being patient. Appreciate it. Peace.